Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I was out and about a couple months ago at a presentation at the medical college here and I got the chance to meet Dr. Perry Meadows and I thought it would be good to get an update from him about some of the things that the uh, Geisinger Health System is doing in their own house about the opioid epidemic in uh, the state of Pennsylvania. Dr. Meadows is Medical Director of Government Programs for Geisinger. Good morning, Dr. Meadows. How are you? Good morning, Sue. How are you? It is great to talk to you once again. Uh, I I don't enjoy the circumstances, but uh, I know that you have a lot of uh, good information about uh, how you and others are are trying to take a look at uh, how we got where we are right now. It's uh, it's been a it's been a long road. This is not something that uh, just started overnight, and it's not something we're going to resolve overnight. Um, For sure, I, yeah. And um, I told the audience, and I think it's important because uh, you have said publicly many times that this situation can happen to anyone, and it's something that's actually impacted your own family, and you decided to speak out about it publicly. I think when you do, it it humanizes the discussion for many. So can you talk a little bit about what happened to you and your family? Well, it's actually started, oh, it's been 16, 17 years ago now. My stepson had a work-related injury, and... um, was put on medication, then he had multiple surgeries. This, this was long after he had moved out of the house and was on his own, and uh, he continued getting increasing doses of uh, various medications, including opiates and benzodiazepines. And when the doctor finally cut him off, he, he switched over to heroin. Uh, since that time, he's had multiple overdoses. He's been in and out of, in and out of multiple rehabs. Um, unfortunately, I've, I fall in the class of an enabler because when you're a parent, you want to do anything and everything you can for your children. And we, my wife and I made a lot of mistakes. We, we admit that. But... Uh, We've learned from our mistakes, and one of the big reasons that I speak out is to help others uh, try to learn from my mistakes. I I think that's a good thing to do, and a lot of people have been held back by family secrets and, uh, uh, you know, drug addiction, addiction in general, is so shameful to so many different people that... They often suffer in silence, so um, to hear that you have that kind of connection at least shows that others, I believe, Dr. Meadows, should start speaking publicly as well about what they're going through because this not only impacts someone in their family but also uh, you and your wife and uh, your children. Right. I mean, it was a serious effect on on the children. Actually, my uh, son uh, was... Uh, six years old at the time, and he 
he saw me doing CPR on his uh, older brother in the hallway uh, when he had an overdose at our home in Cincinnati. And that has caused him significant issues over the years. I mean, he's He's been through counseling. He's had a lot of... Um, a lot of pain from that incident. But the thing that's, that's truly helped me is speaking out. But for the longest time, I didn't speak out. And the reason I didn't speak out is because I didn't want anybody to know. But then I realized last year when I started talking about it that it was actually healing for me. And it has allowed me to connect with a lot of different people who are in the same situation that I'm in. And like you said, this this is a disease that doesn't discriminate based upon uh, gender, socioeconomic status, race. It can affect anyone and everyone. We have uh, seen some things happen uh, recently where uh, the president has come out and declared the opioid crisis a health emergency. And I think that a lot of people were already aware of that, Dr. Meadows. But as a as a, a medical provider and as a, a system, how how do you see the announcement by the president to the country that this is a very serious issue? I think the big thing that the, the announcement does is it uh, really puts it in the forefront. There, there are still a lot of people, believe it or not, that um, don't see this as, a, as big an issue as it really is. I mean, right now, if you look at numbers nationwide, uh, in the time that we've been talking, Sue, which is about uh, five minutes now, at, one, at least one person in this country has died from an overdose. Seven to eight people die every hour from an overdose. And I, the, the announcement puts it in the forefront. It really... Um, how can I say this? It um, puts the puts the force of the federal government behind it now. Um, now the final report from the opioid Co- commission that the president established uh, a few months ago is supposed to be out later this week or uh, next week. I'm very interested to, to see what the what the final recommendations are and how those recommendations are implemented. Geographically, our region of the country, Pennsylvania proper, where we are in northeastern Pennsylvania, Dr. Meadows, we've really been, we've been slammed by this. And maybe that's why it makes it uh, very personal for a lot of people here. I'm sure in other parts of the country, it's not quite uh, what we have. Do you have any idea or any kind of knowledge as to why this area, northeastern Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania proper, has been uh, struck so predominantly by this? Um, as far as Pennsylvania proper, I really, really don't have any uh, firsthand knowledge of why. I mean, I could, I could speculate. Uh, I mean, we're, we're close to multiple ma- major metropolitan areas. Uh, if you look at, um, you know, the economy is some you know some would consider to be down a little bit i mean i'm i'm originally from west virginia and it west west virginia has been very hard hit um, west virginia is right on a direct pipeline from the midwest um, 
there's a, been a significant economic downturn in West Virginia, and that's that's what that's what we blame we blame it on down there. So I think a lot of the a lot of the same same factors play into it in the Northeast. If you look at our Geisinger Health Plan membership, uh, two thirds of the people that have a diagnosis of uh, opiate use disorder live in Luzerne and Lackawanna, or, or have addresses in our system in Luzerne and Lackawanna County. That's a lot, and I know as a system, you and uh, the other administrators of your system have been looking for some ways to change this paradigm. One of the things that uh, I read on the, the internet about uh, Geisinger is that they are looking very seriously about the long-term efficacy of using opioids to treat pain. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because we've had people who called our show, Dr. Meadows, and they've said to us, we are responsible about our medications. We've been on them for a long time, and now our doctors are giving us grief over them. So I guess there's another end of this, too, that we've been hearing. Can you explain a little bit about that particular research? Uh, if, you, if you look at what we've, what we've seen here at Geisinger, uh, there's actually been a decline in opiate prescribing over over time. It ha- it's not just been a recent start, and a lot of that has uh, been with uh, education of providers, education of parents or patients. Um, also, we continue to look at alternatives for use of opiates uh, with the treatment of pain. Okay, and when you do that, is there? A, we also heard from people that there might be uh, further limitations on prescriptions of opioids in the Geisinger system in the new year. Is that right, or is that not right? Well, in um, in August, the uh, uh, Department of Human Services that uh, runs the Medicaid program in Pennsylvania required all health plans to implement uh, prior authorization criteria for. For opioids, uh, Geisinger has a Geisinger Health Plan has a significant uh, Medicaid membership in the Northeast, so I'm sure you've you've heard about that. Now, policies went into effect for adults uh, September 15th, so it was a it was a big change for providers, members, and the health plan. Um, again, as I said, these were these changes were mandated uh, by Medicaid, and uh, we have implemented them. Um, we're starting to see a decrease in some of the denials, though. I think providers are getting more comfortable with it. I think members are getting more comfortable with it, too. Um, I mean, as a, as a physician myself, the main thing for me is that uh, individuals get the medication they need at the time they need it in a proper dose and a proper form. We want to make sure that uh, people are receiving the best quality care possible. Have you received complaints from members, though, Dr. Meadows, that they uh, cannot get their pain medications like they used to and that they truly need them and this has become something where they feel uh, either punished or um, that the people are looking at them with a jaundiced eye because they receive these medications and they do use them properly? You know, I I have heard some of that. Um, In a lot of instances, when we're doing prior authorization reviews, we don't we don't receive a lot of the information we need, and 
in a number of cases, when we do receive the information, we go ahead and approve it. You're right. There, there are a lot of people out there that have been on these medications for a while. They do take them responsibly. Uh, and those are the people that we, that we need to work with uh, to make sure that they don't fall between the cracks so they do continue to get the medications that they need. In terms of uh, using too many uh, of these drugs, though, I was at a presentation, a different one than we were at, that they said too many of these pills at once can actually lead to more pain for a patient. Is that an accurate statement? That, that is correct, yes. Okay. Uh, so I guess what we need to start doing, Dr. Meadows, as um, you know, partners in all this, is just saying to people... Um, look at the way you're doing this and make sure that you're not sabotaging your recovery further? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we need a lot, to... A lot, of, a lot of that involves uh, education. I mean, uh, we need to educate our community. We need to educate our providers. Um, one of the things that I'm very intimately involved with, probably more involved than... Uh, with anything else right now is a lot of community education programs. Not only like the one you attended, but in a variety of formats and forums. Do you appeal in any of these community presentations to the the young generation um, to see if, again, these things can somehow, in their mind... Uh, equate to something that that may be dangerous or deadly to them. I mean, what is what is the strategy for you know looking at this with a young generation and um, getting them to to see it as a potential problem in in their future? Well, Sue, it's it's interesting that you bring up the uh, younger generation. We've been working with uh, the Greater Susquehanna Valley United Way out of Sunbury and a nonprofit out of Lewisburg called DJ Choices. And what we've done is that we have uh, worked with these two organizations to develop school-based programs, and we just completed a number of uh, programs in various schools in the Northumberland County region as we're, as we're trying it out and seeing what, what method of delivery works. Uh, it involves... Uh, the use of uh, rock music interspersed with videos containing statistics and information on substance abuse. Um, My favorite part of the show is, uh, well, my second favorite part of the show is the laser lights. But we also have videos of individuals uh, in recovery. We just did one at Shikolemi High School Friday afternoon, and we had two people uh, on video that told their story in recovery. And then we had one mother who uh, lost her son a year ago. And she's just started speaking out in the last couple of weeks. And once they hear the story, then the room goes dark, and then the lights come up, and these, these folks that they saw on the video actually come out on stage and speak speak to the kids and then they they're available afterwards for for the kids to talk to and just talking to some of the students afterwards not only at the one at Shikalemi but the ones that we've done in other other schools in the area 
it's it's very powerful when they actually see these people in person, and it's it's made a big impact. There's been quite a few uh, students that have come forward and asked for help or uh, referred others for help as a result of these programs. Boy, I'm really happy to hear about that because I, I think that that educational component and what was discussed of trying to break this problem during a, a, a particular generation is such a wonderful idea. I also know that uh, doctors and, and pharmacists and others are, I think, starting to view these medications in a different way. And I think when we spoke, I think it was you, but I can't remember specifically we talked a little bit about your own medical training and how back in the day doctors didn't spend too much time during their training considering substance abuse of any kind, right? Well, not only that, but back when I trained 30 years ago, uh, we were taught that pain was a fifth vital sign and that we had, not only did we have to assess pain, but that Patients had a right to be pain-free, and we were we were taught that we should do whatever we could to get to get patients pain-free. Turns out now that maybe treating pain as a fifth vital sign was not the most appropriate thing to do. I also understand that uh, patient satisfaction surveys in the past had uh, some questions about. Uh, whether or not individuals who were hospitalized thought that they were in a, in a good state. In, a, in other words, you know, what, what was their pain like while hospitalized? Is there uh, any attempt by Geisinger to revisit patient satisfaction in regard to that? Are you, are you looking at a, a different way to assess the, uh, the quality of treatment a patient receives in the hospital or, or elsewhere without uh, relying so much on those questions? You know, I, I can't really speak to what the uh, hospitals are doing themselves, but I know that uh, I'm, a, I'm a patient in the Geisinger system, my primary care doctor's here, and I, I know that the surveys that I receive uh, don't talk about pain, don't talk about medication. They talk about, um, uh, you know, demeanor and service and quality. They're much more much more generic surveys, but they really seem to get to the heart of uh, what what we would want to know about the quality of care that you receive at the, at the office. Geisinger also obviously has to work in conjunction with its partners to approve the uh, uh, rehabilitation treatment of certain individuals, Dr. Meadows, and we know that we often hear 28 days, and sometimes that doesn't even pan out. It's more like 14 or, or whatever. But is there a changing philosophy about um, trying to decide what kind of treatment and for how long patients who are sincere about a recovery get using their plans? You know, I, I think it varies depending on what region of the country you're in and what um what the resources the resources are that are available in that area. I know here in um, here in the Danville area, there really aren't a lot of a lot of resources available for um, people in terms of 
inpatient services. There's a there's a limitation on the um, number of inpatient facilities. No, we have we have really good outpatient services down here. I know that up in the Northeast we have we have Geisinger's uh, facility called Marworth, which is an inpatient facility that also has outpatient services, and they they do a very good job. But it's often difficult to get a bed there. I think one one of the things that we need to work toward. Um, as a nation is uh, having the appropriate level of treatment available for the appropriate person at the appropriate time. Because okay. I can tell you from, from personal experience with my stepson, he'll walk in and say, I'm ready to get help. But that, that window of opportunity may only last for an hour or two. And there were quite a few times when he asked for help and we couldn't find a place to get him the help at the, at the time he asked for it. And then the window was gone. I see we have a, we have a long way to go in some of these things, Dr. Perry Meadows, but I'm glad that you are uh, one of the people who uh, does advocate and you seem to be advocating in, in all kinds of things, whether it's a government testimony or school programs. So, I'm really glad you're out there, and I'm glad you took the time today to speak to us. I know your schedule is jam-packed, and uh, anytime we can get a word with you is, is great. So thanks for doing the show. I truly appreciate it. Well, Sue, thank you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. All right. Thank you. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.